Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, the amazing Stephanie Drakovich. She and her husband founded the company 44 Blue, based here in Los Angeles. Stephanie and I talk about her early roots in TV news through her many years on the studio side to her returning to producing with her very successful company today. 44 Blue is known for hits like Pitbulls and Parolees, Wahlburgers, and Hollywood Medium, which is going into another season now on E! We break down how some of those famous shows came to be and why passion is everything when you're trying to make and sell great TV. Stephanie, I'm so happy to have you here. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. <laughs> and know. you are just the busiest lady in show business. No, 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 no. But I, w- no, but I, I was like, determined. I just am far away from you. You are. <laughs> I know. I'm the furthest away person in show business from you. <laughs> but I'm so happy that you came. I mean, you're one of the... I, my first pilot almost a year ago was Jenny Daly. And now you're sort of my only other female, I mean, I know you own it with your husband, yeah. but, you know, a woman who's running a company. Wow. So it's really important for me, other than I just think you're fantastic Aww, well, and your company is hugely successful, that. but I want to talk to more women in power yeah. positions in the exactly. business. It's important. You know what? That's kind of both, I don't know, that's both amazing and interesting, but also sad that there's only, that you've only spoken with two of us. I know. But I know, if there's not a lot of us who... I've been on the entrepreneurial side. Well, first of all, I always say how we know each other. So okay. um, we met. We were trying to figure this out. I think we think of almost two years ago. Yeah. Um, in your old offices in Studio City. Yeah. And I just fell in love with you. I thought you were so fantastic. And uh, I was networking because I hadn't yet moved right. to L.A. And so you gave me faith that there were normal, awesome people here. <laughs> <laughs> Despite who was sitting in front of you exactly. in the Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I always follow your guys' success. And, and you are just done amazing things. And I think since we met, you've been bought. And like, mm-hmm. you know, just a lot has happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we will kind of go on your mm-hmm. journey. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll buckle my seatbelt. Okay. Strap in, sweetie. <laughs> okay. Strap in. So, I mean, where do we even start? Like, where was the, was TV always in, you know, on your horizon? Oh, my gosh. Okay. You know what's so interesting about that question is when Mary Tyler Moore passed away over the oh, holidays. There. I know. I... You know, I remember sitting on the couch with my mom in Leavenworth, Kansas, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, watching that show, making you know, appointment viewing, asking if I could stay up late. <laughs> right. I don't remember what night it was on, but yeah. there were like certain shows I remember like, you know, can I stay up late? Like I remember Bewitched was one. Yes. Um, and, you know, the Smothers Brothers. Yeah. And, um, um, oh my gosh, all those shows. But anyway, but Mary Teller Moore, I think that's the first time I remember seeing what a TV newsroom was and just going, oh my God, I want like I want to do that or that looks like it would be really cool to to do that. My mom was a graduate of Northwestern. She's the first person in her family to go to college. She was an advertising major. So my mom, even though my mom was an army yeah. spouse, I yeah. mean, she, I she had not worked her her generation, she didn't, you know, she started work and then she became an army wife. Yeah. Um but she really was all about, you know, storytelling and making a difference and getting out there. And so I think between Mary Tyler Moore <laughs> and WJ, WJM yeah. and my mom and what my mom did, 
I knew I wanted to be in journalism. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily identify it as television. Yeah. It was journalism yeah. to me. So that's what... Same with yeah. me. Did you work on the school paper and all that I stuff? I sure did, man. Yeah. You bet. Um, oh, my God. The pioneer at Leavenworth High in Leavenworth, Kansas. <gasps> I love it. Um, I was. Um, however, I um, because I think I came to the paper late, I ended up on the yearbook staff. Mm. And so the yearbook staff... And my teacher was Joe Larrett Baker in Leavenworth, Kansas. It was really, like, tough and demanding and really taught, like, even on the yearbook staff in, in the journalism class, like, you know, what it meant to do all that. And um, so I did yearbook, and then I did the paper at—I think I did the paper at my second high school, and I did the paper at University of Nebraska. I was on the copy desk. And—okay, so this is all coming back to me. And I did the paper—I <laughs> did the Daily Emerald at Oregon, so yeah. And wow. I was always a copy editor and a headline writer. So did you always— And a reporter. I did a little bit of reporting. But not—nothing with TV. This was all print. This was all print. print. This and was then, all print in college. And yeah. then you did transition at some point to broadcast journalism. I did. And I did. For a local news station? Um, for a local station, KTU in Portland, Oregon. I was That's probably um, a good market. Um, I was it was the 25th market yeah, at the time. Impressive. I was um, I was in um, I was at Eugene uh, University of Oregon. I transferred from Nebraska. I've been my family there. Oh, it's incredible. I've been there. Oh my god. That's yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, my family, you know, my dad had been in the military. We'd been in the Midwest for way too long at that right, point, for right. eight years. We took out a map one day <laughs> and laid it on the dining room table. And I have two little brothers. And basically, my family said, okay, everybody close your eyes and point. And wherever you point, my dad was going to go out and do a reconnaissance trip. And then we were going to pick a new place to live because they were just sick of the Midwest at this point, like tornadoes and heat and snow and like <laughs> right. whatever. Um, wow. So be- we laid out the map and we all, you know, closed our eyes and pointed and because we all wanted to go west we all pointed left (laughs) and so basically the five towns were um seattle portland i think sacramento san francisco and san diego basically is what my or at least that's what our parents told us so you dodged the sacramento bullet we dodged sacramento (laughs) anything else would have been good exactly my dad flew out did the did the thing basically then said we're going to Portland and my mom had been born in Alaska and had family in Seattle I was born in Seattle so it was sort of like she wanted to be close to family but not too close so we ended up in Portland that then um, because I was a journalism major I I transferred to Oregon and um, put together a panel one day of all the people whose jobs I thought sounded interesting and one of them was this woman who hosted AM Northwest which was the live daily morning show right. and again it's not like I wanted to be in TV I was more of a magazine person I wanted yeah. to be a magazine journalist I really wanted to be the editor of Esquire okay. that's what I wanted to be um, but I did this panel and I got to know her and I asked if um, I could intern there and they'd never had an intern so that's how I ended up in TV and then they offered me a job Huh. And I was like, no, I want to go back and, you know, be a journalist. When you were still in college? Yeah. Wow. And um, I had like a semester left. And um, and then a lot of my friends who wanted to be in TV said, what are you, nuts? And I started to think about it. I went, well, okay, I guess I could take this TV job yeah. and learn more. And so that's how I ended up doing it. And then I finished my last semester in Portland instead of Eugene, you know, is what I did. And then went back to graduate. But and was that a producing job or a- I was yes, I was a yeah. production assistant on AM Northwest. Wow. So I produced the um I produced the weekly household hints <laughs> every Wednesday. Ten household hints. So I had to go get all the props, like, you know, how to get uh, I still to this day use this household hint, how to get when you spill red wine. Right. How do you get it out of something that's white? Tell us. Seriously. Okay. Seriously. I need to know. Okay. Usually if you're drinking red wine, that means there's white wine close by. <laughs> you use that as the antidote? Yes. Get you pour out. white wine. 
wine on red wine, it makes it disappear. If you don't have white, and again, this is for like in a party environment. <laughs> right. If you, you know, if you um, don't have white wine nearby, then you pour sparkling water on it. Right, seltzer. I've heard that was one of my household hints. So uh-huh. I had to do that every. Yeah, I'd have to go gather the hints and test them at my apartment the night before and get in at work by 6 a.m. to set them up. But I love that. Because and I had to warm up the audience and I had to thing. AD. Right. So you did, exactly like me, you did like 15 different yes. jobs. Yes. And this is what the kids today don't understand. Yes. And yes. And they all expect, you know, yeah. you start as an intern, then you're an EP the next no, year. No, <laughs> I warmed up the audience. I had to do the applause meter. I had to AD. Love it. I had to run the teleprompter. I learned how to back time a show because it was live. Yep. Um, I went out in the field. I carried equipment. And actually, when I moved to WPBI in Philadelphia, which was my second student. I, uh, well, I didn't. Did we talk about this? this? Did you know my cousin, Cheryl Coonan? Yeah. Did we discuss? I don't know. We must have. Do you know I, Cheryl? Her name She's is Cheryl Fair. Yes, of course I yeah, know Cheryl Fair. That was, was her maiden name. Cheryl yeah. Fair was, I think, the news director. She was. And she's the GM of KABC. Yeah, K- KABC, exactly. Yeah, she's my cousin. Um, okay, so she was so um, upstairs. I was in the basement. Because, <laughs> again, we were, the local, we were the local daily live show, so we were in the basement. But when I moved there, because I was so used to doing everything, right. <laughs> I still remember I went out in the field on my first two. I got in trouble two times. Went out in the field on my first field shoot, and I carried the tripod. Uh, and I'm like, okay. Oh, you was know, it hey, Union? Well, I found out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The next day there was a a grievance. I think oh, it's called a grievance. It's a, and I was like, what? I was doing what I was supposed I was helping. Right. Like, nope, not allowed to carry equipment. And then I also um, wrote a cue card and held up a cue card because, again, I was used to doing the cue cards at AM Northwest. No. And I learned I wasn't supposed to do that. So that was my way card. of yeah. learning that, you know— you're supposed to like pitch it and help it when you're in a union station. But I learned, and those guys were great, and I learned a lot there. That was an amazing station. Yeah. So then from there, where did you? Where did okay, you, so and when did you meet Dasha? Rasha. 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 I, um, uh, I met Rasha in Philly. Um, and he I, was working at PVI too? No. Um, but I met, oh, okay. I met him <laughs> when I was at PVI though, because we, um, okay. I, this is a stupid story, but I was standing <laughs> it's in your line. Meet cute. It's our meet cute. Um, I was working for a guy named Charlie Bradley, who actually, um, I found out, I believe, just passed away. Uh-huh. I'll edit that out just in case. Yes. Because um, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I just okay. found that out. Um, Charlie Bradley was running the station. He was from Baltimore. Everybody was Baltimore. Yeah, that's right. And um, we were standing in line at TGI Fridays, <laughs> waiting for a table at um, in Ballakinwood. I was just to say, right across from PVI. Exactly. I lived in Ballakinwood. Exactly. So in Ballakinwood. And... My boss was joking with me, and he made a joke, and he called me that Catholic girl, because I'm Catholic, that Catholic girl from Oregon, because I was like the lone West Coaster in Philly. I was such a novelty. Like, people were like, you're from where? Right. What's Oregon, you know? (laughs) And the young lady who was the um, hostess, like, whipped around, and she's like, you're from Oregon? And I said, yeah, why? She's like, oh, my God, I'm from California. I just moved out here with my boyfriend. Can we be friends? Oh, my God, I don't know anybody. So she and I became friends. And she kept saying, we have to go out for drinks one night with my boyfriend, who's also from California. He's from Palo Alto. And he works right down the street from you. Well, long story short, they ended up breaking up. She ended up moving back to California. And she called me. It was pre-email or anything. And she said, right. by the way, movie, my parents are making me come back. I'm a Stanford grad with a hostess job. And this is like, they're <laughs> not happy with me. So I'm moving back. Um, and I was like, oh my God, you know, that's too bad. Cut to, I remembered that her boyfriend worked for a sports documentary company. We were having, I think, like Mickey Mantle on or someone and I needed footage. I thought, you know, I'm going to call 
that, you know, they're right down the street. I'll call and see if they have footage. So I called and he, and I was like, I've heard so much about you. He said, I know I've heard so much about you. I said, also, I need to like get her contact information so I can stay in touch. And he said, well, let's have lunch. I got the footage. We had <laughs> lunch. First. And it was a three hour lunch. And was after, it a TGI Fridays? It was at, <laughs> it was at the restaurant right up the street that his boss's wife owned. Aww. And he worked for a company called Greatest Sports Legends. Yeah. That was upstairs, and the restaurant was downstairs. And we had lunch there, and um, I thought he was darling, but, you know, he still had this girlfriend who had just moved to California. And that was your friend. Yeah, uh, and scandal. in the meantime, as he tells the story, because um, it was such a long lunch, I knew I was going to get in trouble when I got back. Right. And his boss came down at one point and said, come on, you know, hey, let's get back upstairs. So I guess he goes back upstairs, and he was like, what's with the three-hour lunch? And Rasha said, I just met the woman I'm going to marry. Aww. I know. Isn't that a great story? I love I it. I didn't know that. You so didn't know it was yet. many, many months later that, I mean, because we, we just became friends. Wow. And then I realized that, you know, he had broken up with this, you know, and the other girl. And so we became friends, and that's how we met. And then how soon after did you get married? Um, it was a couple years later because we had moved back out here at that point. So I went on to work at that point. He was a greatest sports legends. I went across the street to WCAU, yeah. which was the CBS O&O. Jay Feldman, who I'm still friends with to this day, he was the general manager. He was the youngest general manager for CBS O&O at the time. Was Gene McHale Waite there when you were there? Yes. He rolled the dice on me yeah. to come in and EP a daily live show. Wow. So it was only my third job in television. I had been shit. an AP across ah, the street. So you leaped. From Way an over. AP to an EP. Wow. Yeah. And Amazing. so I, it was a live daily show, kind of like a Donahue-esque yeah. type show with a woman named Jane Whitney. So we did a lot of really serious issues. We did we did celebrity, but we also did, you know, how do I talk to my, you know, my, my son or daughters come out. We did, you know, white supremacists. I mean, we did some really heavy yeah. issues as well as some entertainment, but... Um, I was at that station, and then it was in the era where everybody was starting to kind of shut down their local programming mm-hmm. um, and take on syndicated shows. Right. And so I think, as I recall, I think our show our show got shut down, and so I took the opportunity to move to the West Coast, and then Rasha also moved to the West Coast. So he went to KBC, and I went to what was then Telepictures, right. pre-Warner Brothers, Stick Robertson, Michael Guerin, Michael Solomon— and David Salzman had started this upstart little company in the Galleria building, Sepulveda. And I went and worked for a show called News Scope. I had a choice between another upstart show called Entertainment Tonight. Oh, I've heard of that. Or this one <laughs> called News Scope. You went for News Scope. The ET, Betting on the Entertainment <laughs> Tonight was going to keep me in New York. Right. George Merlis was running it then. And um, I came out for an interview. And he said, well, we're, you know, we're still opening up an office in New York. Would you like to go? And I really wanted to come back west because yeah. my family was west. Yeah. So instead, I went with this little show called News Scout. Let's just say one still exists. The other one doesn't. <laughs> um, but it got us out back out to the West Coast. And then did you stay EPing um, syndicated talk shows at that point? I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I was I was not an EP for News Scope. I was. It was a daily news kind of syndicated news show. It was, okay. it was, a, it was sort of like a PM magazine approach yeah. to news. It was a very innovative idea that lasted a season. <laughs> um, I what was I? I think I was. I don't remember my title. I was. I was in charge of um of a. Um, uh, a vertical, although the, wow, the V word didn't exist time. then. But I was in charge of entertainment and lifestyle on okay. the show, so I was one of the key Fun. producers. It still had an EP. Jay Feldman was the EP, mm-hmm. actually. Jay Feldman left and came out and EP'd, um, and so I did that. And then that show went off the air. <laughs> and then let me think. Oh, we started Forty Four Blue. 
That's what we did. We started 44 Blue before we were even married. Wow. And really? Then, uh-huh. And what year was that? That was probably, it was 84. Oh, my God. Yeah. And did you start at thinking, we're going to have a production company and produce shows? Like, what was the I original? Know what, <laughs> I, you know what? Rasha and I go like, what were we thinking <laughs> that we could do this? Because he was at KBC then. He was with an amazing group at KBC. And when you look back at this group, they each started their own companies. Mac Anderson and Bradley, his brother, Craig Hafner, um, Eric Schatz, mm, wow. Jeff Androsky, um, Donna Lusitana was part of that group, but I think she was ended up being part of Craig Hafner's company. So it was an era at KBC. They did INLA, which was really the precursor to that style of storytelling and flashing and glossing and, and like the kind of music video approach to telling a story. Yeah. That's what they called it then. Almost every single one of the folks who were at KBC then started their own company, which is pretty amazing. That is amazing. And I think we're, you know, only a couple of us are still around. So I don't know what possessed us to do it. We were just like, like young and naive and stupid and thought we could like create a production company out of our spare bedroom. And we did. Well, that's the best. When you don't know any better, that's the best We didn't know any better. And we weren't even married. And what was 44 Blue? What's the name? It was a sports play. It was a football play. Uh, football play, um, my again, silly dumb story, but <laughs> football play that um, Rasha, you know, played football in high school. Okay. And it was a play that, again, he should tell this story, not me. But I think it was a run pass option, I think. And every time they ran it, you know, it was basically him running down the field. catching. You know, every time they ran it, they scored. Yeah. And so... You know, his sort of lucky favorite number was 44, and I love blue. So that's how it came about. That's cute. And we launched it with a sports show. We launched okay. the company with a sports show. So it was all. Did you ever have any trepidation about getting into business with your then boyfriend, eventual husband? Because that's kind right? of a hard I thing should to have. Right. Good thing you didn't think about it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I guess it was just like that optimism that you right. have. It's all going to be great. When, you know, you you know at that, at that point, I'd had, a, you know, I'd worked at K, KTU. PVI, CAU, and Telepictures. So I'd already worked at four places. Rosh had worked at Greatest Sports Legends, who, again, had an amazing history of people. Mike Tolan was there. Um, all sorts of great people went through Greatest Sports Legends. Um, Rosh had been at KBC. I guess we just thought we could do it. And we did it. And then we got married in 85. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think t- I always say really the success of 44 Blue and probably us yeah. You know, and, and us, because we've been married 30 some years now, oh, is that we didn't work together this right. whole time. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I mean, Rasha really deserves all credit for the success of the company and, and its longevity, because Rasha is the one who really, really built it during its lean years and during the years when the industry was evolving and, we, and the industry was figuring out what it was. And, and you were out doing other jobs, right. right? I ended up going the studio route for okay. 13 of those years, I wow. think. Let's say almost 15 years. I was the studio exec. He was really building the company. So, you know, even though we've now been back together, working <laughs> together since 2003, it's not like we, you know, sat in the same office together for that. I mean, I don't, we, we probably wouldn't be <laughs> we together wouldn't be if, if that were the case, yeah. right? So we were able to, and I was always a passive partner. You know, I, I didn't have a role in the company then because I was a studio exec. And he really grew it. And he really, yeah, he built it. And I just came back at a good time and helped, you know, expand it and do what I've done. But really, so Rasha what made you? That. What made you come back after being a studio? Executive? What made me come back? Let's see, five studio jobs later. <laughs> um, I, um, 
you know, I did the corporate thing, you know, and right. I went from one studio job to another because that's just what that life is like. Right. Um, it was before a lot of the cable networks had had um had launched. So probably if it was today, it would be the same kind of the same thing as going from you know being a network exec. Yeah. But I went from I did Disney. Um, uh, started at Disney as a director level um, in I think 1990 when they were really building the first run syndication business, and then went to Group W slash Westinghouse. Yeah. Um, went there as a VP, and then they merged with CBS and right. iMark, right. the first merger. Um, and so I went through that shuffle. Then because of that shuffle, I went to a company that was called at the time called Pearson, became Fremantle. Oh, my God. So I went and worked with my old boss at Disney there. That merger happened, and I had an opportunity to, you know, drive to Santa Monica every day <laughs> as a mother of three, you know, Young yeah. Kids, yeah, and I had to really make a decision. And you know, there was a corporate restructure, and an opportunity came. Mm-hmm. That's where Michael Davies called me and asked if I would ever consider coming back to Disney because huh. I, you know, I was there when he came in. I left. He went on to you know build that division, <clears throat> did an amazing job. He was looking to and ready to move over to ABC and needed someone to replace him. And I was like, I don't know, I've already been there. Do you do the same thing twice? He's like, right. yeah, but it's not the same thing as before. <laughs> so I went back to the studio side uh-huh. um, as an SVP. And then another merger. I actually went there thinking Crazy. the ABC-Disney merger had already happened. So I was like, well, so there's already been a merger. But the part <laughs> that hadn't merged was the daytime group. So Angela Shapiro's group during network daytime, Holly was over there, Holly Jacobs. Yeah. Um, our group was syndication under Janice Marinelli. They basically went, wait a minute, why do we have these two separate groups each doing daytime? Let's merge it. So they merged it while I was there. So again, another oh restructure. And so with each restructure. And that's where I went to Warner Brothers. Right. Okay. And then it was like time for a new job. Yeah. Well, yeah, because in, in almost all of the instances, I get, you know, there's probably there's an opportunity to stay on in a new restructure, but it was like, well, do I want to do that? And yeah. each time I always had a great opportunity presented to me. So that's where Jim Peratore called me. The late Jim Peratore is one of the greatest, the greatest and probably most challenging bosses I'd ever had. You know, like sometimes the ones who are the top, toughest push you the furthest. Yes. Um, he was amazing, and, you know, he always used to call and go, what are you doing at the Evil Empire? Come over here. And so he— That was always in your head. Yeah, so he um, offered me a great opportunity to join Telepictures. So that was my last corporate job. So when that restructure yeah. came, he left to go run distribution and literally went to a new building. Hillary came on board, or Hillary had already been on board. Hillary was moved up to oversee the division. And, you know, I didn't get to stay. And it was one of those things, and sometimes that happens. Yeah. And— um, that's where my husband said, Steph, you know, I've watched you go through this whole corporate journey. Why don't you come back to producing? Why, why don't you come see what we've done with the place? Right. And so he invited me over and invited me over. Come see 44 Blue, which, you know, it's not like I hung out there Look all the time. Look at my company. I know. Yeah. And he said, why don't you just try producing for a while? Take a break. Take a beat. And so it was actually it's the best thing I ever did because I could have just jumped back in again, and like you know. But I was like, no, you know what? I really do love producing, and I hadn't done it for a while. Yeah. In, in that role, right. I've been an exec, which right. is slightly different. It is very different. What was from that whole fifteen or so years? What was your sort of best accomplishment or best thing that you felt you you did? Oh my gosh, I'm sure there were many, many shows and many. I mean, I, it, it's it's how you define best. 
Most satisfying, um, I, I mean, guess. I think those years really taught me a lot. They taught me how to be resilient. They taught me how to work with a very wide range of people. Mm-hmm. They taught me how to be an exec versus trying to be a producer, which is, I think, a, one of the challenges in the business today is what is that role? Mm-hmm. Um, they taught me, I mean, I got to work with some amazing um, projects and properties. I got to, you know, I got to be there for the launch of Millionaire, mm-hmm. you know, which really changed, I think, a lot of television. Um, I got to be there for the launch of Bachelor. I got to be there for a lot of uh, launches of a lot of things that didn't work. Trust right. me, <laughs> most sure. don't work. Right. I mean, the number of game show run-throughs I sat through at the Sportsman's Lodge, ninety degrees, and then like, oh my God, this is a pilot. This one's going to work. The talk shows that I've launched and. You, you know, you launch on such optimism, yeah. and then about six weeks, eight weeks, 13 weeks, <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah, how do we tell them that this is not going forward? And I, right. get, to, and I get to be the one that tells the staff. And So, but, so you um, probably have a lot of empathy now for network executives who call you and say you're not renewed exactly. or whatever it is. Oh, and difference being, I had to do it in person back in those days, because I was literally, you know, you, don't, you didn't do it on the phone, because right. usually... It was a live daily show or a, a talk show. I did right. a lot of talk game in, yeah. in court, you know, because it was syndication back then. Um, so usually, you know, it's gathering 80 people in a stage. Oh, God, and that's saying, brutal. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But I guess I just look back at those years and I, I feel very blessed because I got to I got to work on a lot of a very wide range of content mm-hmm. with every, you know, amazing auspices. David Steinberg and Cher and Dick Clark and wow. um, Stu Billet, who taught me so much. Um, you know, so a lot of really amazing people. It's also the first time I noticed that women weren't on, women weren't coming into pitch. I still remember noticing that. Huh. Why most women would come in and meet with me at the time and present themselves as a producer. And one day the light bulb went off, and I'm like, very few women come in and pitch an idea. Yeah, where if it goes forward. They get to be an owner and be an executive producer. In right. fact, I can tell you there were only two women at the time. Wow. Suzanne DePass and Susan Winston. I don't know them. Suzanne DePass ran Motown. Wow. Okay. Suzanne DePass is one of the fierce, amazing female um, entrepreneurs um, in the business. Susan Winston at the time um, had been executive producer of Gnorri America. I think she was the first female EP. And then she had gone on to build her own company, Blinky and Bodie, with um, with Dan and um, 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 and you know she was one of the few women creating content in broadcast primetime. But yeah, that's when I remember going. So wait a minute, why don't more women come in and pitch? So do you think that was part of the impetus for why you wanted to get to back to your roots as produce as a producer? Well, I think also, look, one thing that happens when you're working for other people in the studio, and it happens with network execs, yeah. you have to work on projects that you don't always <laughs> believe in 100% because that's your job. Yeah. And I still remember the first one I worked on that I didn't believe in. So, Jim, God rest your soul, excuse me, but I'm going to tell you, the Tom Likas daytime talk show. Oh, boy. I got asked to oversee that, and I was like, really? Tom Likas in daytime? And again, Tom, if you're listening, incredibly, insanely talented broadcaster who was at the height of his success as a shock jock and a very misogynist shock right. jock. Yeah. But that was his thing. He right. created a character and he realized yeah. it got ratings at the time. So he wasn't like that in real life? 
he, he didn't care. <laughs> no, he it, was. He, I mean, you know, it's sort of like he, I mean, look, I don't know if he was. Yeah. Certainly off the air, you could have a conversation with right. him and he realized who, what his brand was. Got it. But, you know, Jim Pertori was like, Steph, you're going to, first thing you're working on when you come here is the daytime talk show with Tom Likas. I'm like, really? Uh, how do I make that work? But yeah. you know what? I'm SVP. My job is to make it work. Yeah. I'm going to do it. But you realized, I guess what you're saying is that once you're on the side where you can create and produce content, you can pick and choose. Yes. You can and do so, the ones yes. you love. And I think you 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 decide that you want to bet on yourself and you realize you have to rise and fall with your own success. You don't have the safety net of your 52 weeks, you know, a week, three-year deal at Warner Brothers or whatever right. it is and your benefits and your company car and all the things that you get when you are an exec like that. And you do, you have to try to make it on your own. And it's also when you find out who your friends and support are when you leave. When you when you go from being a buyer to a seller, you learn a lot. When you're a buyer, I always call that it's more of a lean back job. And when you're a seller, I think it's more of a lean forward so job. True. And it, it's not to take away from the buying process. No, or the it's role a different thing. Place, but you get to listen to a lot of things. And you are passing on most of them. You are. Um, and when you are a seller... You know, you're, yeah. I mean, when I left Warner Brothers, you know, it's like suddenly I wasn't, you know, I wasn't buying. And so, you know, you're like, okay, calls aren't aren't going to come back as quickly. I mean, that's changed now because right. we've built up the company at the time. Yeah. Well, no, not because that, but you just build up your time and your goodwill. Right. And you know and you're going to get that respect. Yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, now I, yeah, I, I can get a call back. But I mean, at the time you're like, whoa, okay. But do you, are you really good at reading the signs and the language and like knowing, okay, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Because you've been on the other side, do you sort of have that unique purview of knowing what the bullshit is and what's real? Um, well, you know, I, I don't know. I hope I have some of that. I mean, having been in that on yeah. the other side, look, it's, you know, yeah, reading the room, <laughs> you know, not everybody likes to pass in the room. Sometimes the best pass is in the room. Because you, you got the answer. But oh, I love a pass very, in the room. But it's rare. Not in L.A. It's, it's in New real. York, do you notice they yeah. all do it? It's, yeah. Not in but L.A. But, I mean, you do. <laughs> and, and also... Yeah. I mean, it's like I have been in their position. I right. wasn't in their position on the network side, but as the studio right. side, because well, we were buying. And, and so, also you're giving notes. I'm sure phone. when you get network oh, yeah. notes, it's the same thing. Like yeah. you can understand some, or maybe totally. a producer's like, why do they say it? You can understand that there's a bigger context for that note. Correct. So Correct. it's probably super helpful. Correct. Yeah. Yes. But you must be Hope happy you're not on that side anymore. Well, you know, and again, I respect it and I respect the difficulty of it. Yeah. And that is I think as a as a creator and a and a seller, yeah. we often get frustrated with the buyer's side. But I understand their side of it. It's not easy. It's not easy to make a pick. It's not easy to go. I mean, the way that the decision process is right now. You know, where everything is green light meetings and it's screenings. It's all by group. It's like you got to go in and Committee. you got to like pitch your heart out in front of somebody. So yeah. you got to really believe in that project. You got to be ready to be shot down in front of 30 people. I never had to sell like that internally. Right. You know, where tell pictures, it was like Jim, Alan Sachs, me, you know, David right. Auerbach when he was there. It's like we decided if we wanted something. Now we had to turn around and sell it. Yeah. But we didn't have this mass committee. Right. I think it's a huge problem. I mean, honestly, I think it's killing a lot of our industry because you're killing good ideas. You have execs that maybe aren't confident in selling it up the way that you would. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not everybody gets to pitch to the decision maker as mm -hmm. a seller. Mm -hmm. So you are depending on maybe an underling. Mm -hmm. I hate to say, I don't say that disparagingly. Well, more junior. I'm more junior. A more junior. Exactly. exactly. A, a, a not decision maker. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know, and they may have the respect of their bosses, mm -hmm. but they may not know how to pitch it in the right way. They may not be breathing the DNA of the show like you are. Mm -hmm. So... 
a show that could be so great could get lost in that mix before yeah. it ever gets a chance. Well, and, you know, it's that old cliche that a horse by committee is a camel. Yeah, and I that's think, great. I think sometimes when you do take something into a room and everybody has to agree on it, I guess, I don't know, if you look at the great bell curve of, I don't know, life of creativity, maybe 10% are things that everybody agrees on because, oh, my God, it's so outrageous. How can we not do this? Maybe the other 10% is like total crap, which probably doesn't even make it into the room. But let's say the other 10% is like, absolutely not. Forget it. But most things fall in the middle. So how do you yeah. move something from the middle? If everyone has to agree on it, I don't know. Is that the best choice? Should it be? I like when the room's divided. But how often do we hear the room was really divided? Right. I think, look at, look at the success of some of the loudest things on television and in media over the years. Many of them were house divided. Yeah. Look at Norman Lear yeah. and his body of yeah. work. Do you think everybody sat in a room and went, yeah, we love Archie Bunker? Oh, my God, no. People hated Archie Bunker. But he got attention. He made a statement. It was dangerous. It was edgy. It was like, it was scary. Yeah. But I think now sometimes we're a little bit afraid of the scary. I agree. Well, also, it's it feeds itself, right? So there hasn't been like a real hit in a while. Right. So if it's not that big swing that smells hit. They're like, By the way, what smells hit? I mean, it's never the things right? that, right, it's never and the I, things and that I, And also, look at, like, if we knew what was a hit, then there would yeah. never be any failures. Right. We I, don't know. I completely agree. And so when, when they were like, well, bring me a hit, or it smells like one, all, all of us, I think from buyers to yeah. creators, all of us are just making our best guess. Exactly. That's the, all we can do. Right. And put it out there and give it the best support, you know. That it can be, you know, we hand it, we hand it over after making it. The network puts its best support around it, but you don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what you guys, uh, I'm going to tell you sure. why I think you're successful. Now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, one of the things that I really like about what you guys do is that you're all over the place in the best way. No, you know what I mean. Like you're not, or better or worse. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably storytellers at heart, and that's mm -hmm. maybe what drives you know, everything that you do, but I love how diverse your slate is and how diverse your shows are. So mm -hmm. you can't just say, oh, that's a 44 Blues show. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can in the sense that, mm -hmm. like, the stuff that you're known for, mm -hmm. but, you know, you do everything from lockup mm -hmm. to Pitbulls and Parolis to Donnie and Jenny love mm -hmm. each other or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is that what mm -hmm. it's called? No. <laughs> uh, Donnie loves Jenny. Right. <laughs> they they exactly. love each other. They still love it. Yeah. What is with their relationship? I know. They, they love each other. Exactly. It's, like, it's, it's a really annoying. Like, they, I hear them on her radio show. And it's like, they just never seem to get sick of you like that. They love They're each other. They're in their honeymoon exactly. phase. Still. Exactly. I mean, exactly. God bless. Exactly. If they get exactly. divorced, I'll just kill myself. Exactly. <laughs> now I know what you mean. They are, they are, they are beacons of love. They are. Yes. So what is it when you get you know, either pitch the shows mm -hmm. or if you go out mm -hmm. to find the shows. Mm -hmm. What's your filter in terms of what you decide you want to work on or mm -hmm. pitch or sell? It's a great question. It, it, it's true. We have a very wide lane. And that it is both exciting and that's what makes us who we are. It also makes it challenging to develop when you're within that wide of the lane. <laughs> right. um, I think what speaks to us we do like a greater sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. We can't, you know, we can't be earnest and we're not, you know, we're in the entertainment business, so not everything can have purpose. But I think we tend to be attracted to things that make us laugh, that make us cry, um, that where we feel like we can, where we can engage people and maybe move them to action or make them think about something or help them think about something in a different way or see something they've never seen before. You know, Rasha has always been drawn to what he calls the extreme human condition, which is where lockup came from. Um, and being able to, to shine a light on those things and take us to places that we're not used to seeing and tell those stories in a way 
that's not um, gratuitous and that is not, um, um, you know, like in an over-the-top way, but where we kind of allow you to make your own, draw your own conclusion. That's not always popular, by the way. It's not always the flavor right, of the month. Right. Trust me. Um, so our filter, there are things, you know, there there are things where we'll be like, you know, that's not a 44 Blues show or that's not a, that's not who we are. Like what's an example? Well, I knew you were going to yeah. ask that the second I said that. And I also, I don't certainly want to call yeah, you know, you anything specific. Yeah, you don't know, uh, A specific personality was mentioned to us the other day that had been in the news off and on over the years. Very big, loud personality. Um, had been in trouble with the law, but had also, you know, had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of sort of. Uh, kind of, uh, what's the, what's the word? A, a, a lot of buzz around this person, positive and negative, and this person is sort of kind of back on the scene, or you know. I'm and we dying sat there, to know. and we all listened to it, and it's interesting. All of us went like, "Yeah, that's not us." Yeah, I mean, someone's going to do that right. show. And by the way, bec- when when we when we do that filter, whatever that is, that yeah, it's just that the thing that we don't know. Almost. You know, those another company will do that, and 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 that show will probably become a success. And we always say like it's better in someone else's hands. Yeah. Um, I always say, and Rasha feels this way. We have to, even if we don't sell a show, I have to be able to. And Rasha feels this way. We have to be passionate in the room about it. Yeah. So even if we never find a home for it. I've got to believe in the room, and Rasha's got to believe in the room that this should be on the air. Yeah. And that, you know, it's sort of like we can defend this show, and we believe in it. And, you know, we're like dogs with a bone. I right. mean, Married to the Army Alaska, which only got to live one season on on own, that took five years of me getting turned you, down by Department of Defense. Because you I didn't were, give up. Because wow. I love that story, and I, want, I, I so believed in the importance of that story being told. Yeah. And because I'm an army brat, right. I didn't want anybody else to tell that story. Right. I didn't want one of my colleagues who just wanted it as a quote world or thought it could be exploited as a as a ensemble. I wanted to tell that story because I lived that. My mom was one of those women. My dad was one of those was one of those soldiers. I wanted that story in the right hands. Now that may mean that we can't find a home for it because I wasn't going to do a super high conflict version of that show. But we found a home for it. We found the right home for it. But that was five years. I think you just summed it up. I mean, your filter is like, you have to want to do it. You have to feel passionate. And I think I've said that before too, you know, uh, stuff that's pitched to me. And I'll say like, same thing. I know I could sell that. Yeah. But I think it will be transparent that I'm not excited about yeah. it. And therefore, I don't think I'll sell it yeah. well. And I think you have to have that, even if it's a silly home show or whatever it is, if you love the talent and believe in their talent, mm-hmm. literally, that they can build these homes or cook this meal, whatever right. it is, you have to be behind it. Because to me, then you're just a factory churning out crap. Well, true. <laughs> it's true. No, you're right. We're not just making widgets. Yeah. Like, we have to really believe in what we're making. And it does sometimes mean that we don't, you know, that we, we pass on things or we pass on opportunities. Yeah. Um, and and it's not certainly, um, it's not a comment on someone's taste or sensibility. It's just for us. And also in the world yeah. of nonfiction, we're living with real people. We're not living with fake characters. We're living with real people. Right. And so these people are in our lives and we're in their lives. And their lives are going to change by doing television. And no one can predict the path that that's going to take them on. But it's certainly starting that journey, at least believing that you can be on that path with them. 
while they do go through the ups and downs of whatever this change in their life is going to bring them because it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's interesting because you work with a lot of sort of quote unquote regular people and you Mm -hmm. work with a lot of celebrities. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to just touch on a few shows that have kind of been 44 blue hits. Mm -hmm. um, The first being Wahlburgers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's been Mm -hmm. a huge show for you guys. Um, How did that even come to be? Oh, my gosh. You know, the origin stories. Yeah. You know, as they say, success has many fathers, failure has none, right? <laughs> I mean, and again, this, this was a true group effort. It And, and, and again, this, this is the story that I tell. Um, I was actually sitting at my desk at 4040, um, and we were doing a show called House of Consignment for VH1 for one of my all-time favorite execs, uh, Jeff Old, and, um, and uh, um, uh, Jill and uh, Kristen. And the main character in that show, we were going to be doing an episode in New York. And House of Consignment was about a high-end luxury resale. And so basically every episode had a closet. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, the kind of the tagline is every closet tells a story. Fun. So she was going to New York Fashion Week. And so we wanted to find people in New York with closets. Okay. So I was literally multitasking. Not that any of us ever do this. I was on a call, but I was also Googling at the same time, <laughs> which I really want to stop doing. So to anybody out there listening, I don't do this one. But at the time, I was on a call, and I was like Googling to just go, who's in New York? Who are celebrities that are in New York right. the week right now? And Mark Wahlberg came up because he had just done, I want to say, he'd done somebody's late night show. Okay. And he was talking about his brother opening a restaurant. And it was called Wahlburgers. And I like saw this item, and I was like, oh, my God. Well... They must have a sense of humor about themselves right. <laughs> because they're calling it Wahlberg. So at the time, um, uh, Corey Rogers, who was working with us at the time, um, he was a development exec. I think I asked him, like, Corey, do you know who reps the Wahlberg, you know, the Wahlberg family? And he shot a note to Amir at WME. And, and, and Amir was like, yeah, we do. I mean, we didn't even know that WME rep them. And so that resulted in, hey, do you think they'd ever want to do this? I know the answer is probably no. Right. But I also live by you're not going to get a yes if you don't ask. Absolutely. So bottom line is, you know, I'm your walk down the hall and, you know, talk to Ari and Ari's like, who's asking? And got Mark on the phone and Mark like Wahlberg or like walk up and he's like, I'll meet you guys Monday at the Polo Lounge. And so Rasha and I think Corey might have been on that meeting. I was actually up in Alaska, so I couldn't do that meeting. So Rasha went to that meeting and met. And Mark, who's such a smart businessman and so intuitive and such, um, he's such a big thinker, you know. Um, and again, this is Rasha's story, so really he should be telling it. Okay. Not me, but since I'm the one here. Um, <laughs> so so Mark said, you know what? Um, I could see the I, I could see how this could work, but my family's got to be on board. Right. And so you got to fly to Boston and you got to talk to my family yeah. and, you know, Donnie and everybody. So Rasha literally was on a plane a couple days later to Boston and met like the whole everybody. family and entourage and Alma and Paul and everybody and um, came back and they were like, you know what, let's make this happen. And it was always... It was always meant to be a family, you know, family it's sitcom, really kind of well. And really, it was a great America, a story of a great American family. Yeah. And a great American story of this great family, this, you know, working class Boston family. Right. It's a family that anybody could relate to. It just happens to have an A-list celebrity. It happens to have, you know, two members of the family right. who we all know right. and who had, you know, made their way in entertainment and 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 really created an impact on pop culture and but really, it's the story of like when we all go home, when we go, you know, when we go home again, we we go back to being who we are. Mom is mom, and this is who we are, and this yeah. is where we came from. And they're building this great 
this great business and this great story, but it takes a family. Right. And that's really what it was. Yeah, that so, came across for sure. Yeah. Did Mark, was the, I was always curious about this because, you know, he was in some episodes, not others. From the beginning, was it sort of like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, we need you. I mean, I'm sure the network. We never promised Mark and we never promised Donnie. We wow. always said that, really? you know, that they would be there when they could be there because it's their family. Yeah. But we never, ever did. And Mark and Donnie, again, you know, kudos to them. They have been amazing partners because they... They like saw, you know, they saw what what it did for their for the brand, for yeah. the business, you know, their family, you know, has had a blast doing it. And they've yeah, it's been great. So we never ever that was never ever part of the promise. It was like they're gonna be there when they can be there, but you know, Mark's the movie star and Donnie's uh, doing his thing on television right. Blue Bloods and the right, two right, of them right. are, the two of them are their own massive empires. So Yeah. yeah. And it's a great story and yeah. congrats. Oh well thank That's you. Thank great. you. And my husband, my husband really deserves all the um, kudos for that because he oversees that that show and David Hale or SVP yeah you know Archie Gips the showrunner they've really been it's an amazing team around that Wait, show David and Hale, Mark see the oxygen was he at oxygen no you're thinking of you're thinking, thinking of? of Brian Hale Brian Hale yeah, that yeah. Hale. no David's been with us since he was an intern so oh, I David love that. yeah David's grown up through the company and he's helped oversee that show so so you guys, and Devin Graham yeah oh right of at course A&E. at A&E. so you guys basically you and Rasha basically divide the company up you do development and he does production is that or is well, it sort of a lot of overlap. Um, um, it's a great question. We, um, what I always tell people when they get kind of scared about, oh, am I going to get notes from both of you? Okay. We each have our own slates. Okay. Um, we run the company together along with our executive vice president, Sarah Pogue, who's amazing, um, who I think is going on her 14th or 15th year with us. So we run the company together. Okay. Part of my responsibility just from rejoining the company has been overseeing development. That's grown in such you know, so much in responsibility since I've been back because we just developed so much more. So our VP, Julie Merson, um, plays a big role in that. The way that the slate falls, I oversee some things, Rasha oversees others. And a lot of it just kind of gets divided by what is it? A lot of it, the crime and justice falls to Rasha because of lockup and his experience with crime and justice. A lot of the stuff over the years that we've done that's been military has been him, although I did Mary to the Army because right. that came in really through more of a female way. Yeah. And I hate to say we divide it gender, Male, female, yeah. but a lot of it kind of ends up yeah. that way, it's just sort of accidentally, but not by design. Okay. He does oversee a lot of our crime and, and you know true crime and justice content. So right now, the, the shows that I oversee, I'm overseeing Hollywood Medium. Um, oversee Strut for Oxygen, oversee T.D. Jakes, our daytime talk show, because yeah. talk is you right, know, just thing. in my roots. Um, and then a you know, bunch of other stuff that we're developing. But yeah, yeah it, it's kind of interesting how it has been divided. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Hollywood Medium, because that oh. show probably also sort of an unexpected oh, hit. such an amazing show. Yeah, I love that I mean, that Tyler's show. just magical. How did he come to you, or did you come he, to him? He came to us through our partners, Michael Corbett and Larry Stern. Okay. I wish I could take credit for finding him, right. but I didn't. Um, he found us, I guess. Yeah. Um, Michael met him at a party. Michael um, was at a holiday party. Um, Tyler was there with his um, still now manager, Ron Scott. Um, I think it was one of his first Hollywood parties. He's from Hanford in Central California, and he had just signed, I think, with Ron. And Ron brought him to this party, and Michael met him. And, you know, saw the magic. Yeah. And Michael and his partner, Larry Stern, they you know met on Extra, working at Extra. They put together a sizzle. They partnered with Cameron Cattison. And they needed to find a production partner. So I think my understanding is they went around to, you know, they kind of did the rounds of production companies. And um, 
called and said, you know, we want to bring him to you. We really think that you guys will click with him and vice versa. But, you know, who knows? And so apparently we were his last meeting. Wow. And I, from what I understand, and again, Michael Corbett should tell this story, but from what I understand earlier in the day, he said, we're going to end up with the, with the last person. And he mentioned my name. He knew my name. Now, again, they don't tell him anything. He didn't right. have any business. And he couldn't have Googled. He didn't have the schedule. No. That's no. so crazy. So we feel very blessed. Um, we did the <laughs> yeah. first pilot at, um, what was then, ABC Family. Oh, it and didn't start at E. No. Oh, it didn't. interesting. But there was we had there was multiple there was offers. Oh, and E and ABC family was really down to the two of them. And at the time, huh. Tyler was eighteen, still living in Hanford. And um ABC Family saw a show that was small town medium. Yeah. And frankly, at the time, at least for me, again, can't speak for Larry and Michael, although I think they were, they also felt the same way. We all kind of saw that version more than the E version. Because yeah. I think for E, we were like, well, wait a minute. He's not really a you know, rich kid. He's not, right. a, he's not a Kardashian. He's not like a razzle-dazzle yeah, kind like a regular of a guy. loud personality. He was more like this kind of—I always used to say my life is Liz on MTV— Oh, that's yeah. the show I channeled when we developed it for oh, that's interesting. for um, ABC Family. This small town kid who was struggling right. with the gift that he had, but was starting to get noticed by Hollywood. And ultimately, we did the pilot for them, and their needs changed. And they also, at the same time, we found out way later. We didn't know at the time they were doing something with Monica the Medium. Well, when they were presented with Tyler and Monica, and they were such a female network, Monica came made much more sense for them. Right. So we got it back. And Jeff Old, Dom tells an amazing story, where apparently... I want to say Amir called Domla that morning and said, we know you guys were interested. We just got it back. And I think Jeff had like walked down the hall to her either like an hour later or whatever and said, have you checked in on that? And she's like, you're not going to believe this. That's but we just all got this like call. the medium of right? it all. Yeah, that's crazy. And all of a sudden we were like, oh, my God, we're going to be making it for E. And, and it was probably I like six really months s- later. Yeah, and I really had to do my own internal, like, how do I make this show for them? I really had to figure that out. And with Larry and Michael, we together, but I struggled personally with uh-huh. it. Like, I'm so excited that E wants it. But I've got to figure out, like, what reality are we doing with him? Like, he's 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 19. He was just about to turn right. 19. So he's not drinking. He's not partying. And that's not who he is mm-hmm. anyway. He's, such, he's a very introspective young man. Mm-hmm. Um and so we really kind of, and then the light bulb went off for us. I was, you know, I mean, we were literally sitting, we were doing, um, for the pilot, Larry, Michael, and I were doing, I think we were doing Jamie Presley, or we were doing Tom Arnold. And we were sitting there going like, you know what's going to be really interesting is that we're going to be cutting these readings down to like eight, nine minutes. We're going to have a whole hour. They could be like specials for 4E. Then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute. That's our secret sauce is yeah. him talking to celebrities. It's not reality stuff. Right. So Let's that's where we went to Domlin. And this is this is crediting a great exec. And this is really, you know, how Jeff and Domlin and Julie and that team think, and also Betsy and Leland, everybody over there. <laughs> but this is the team we were working with. We called them up. We were like, okay, we want to propose something to you. You know, we know we've envisioned the show this one way, but what would you think if we dialed up the 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 percentage of readings in the show and dialed down the, the percentage of, quote, reality footage and, you know, kind of following him in his life. And here's why. And Domino was like, and Julia there said, you know what? We get it. We hear you. You know what? Let's see what it looks like. We, you know, we trust your instincts and we, you know, and they're just such great That's collaborators. So great. Yeah. So they trusted Larry, Michael, and I and, and our, you know, showrunner Sarah Skavitsky to try that, and mm-hmm. that's what's, you know. 
the magic was born. And you guys are in your third season? We are about to premiere our third season. Yes. So great. On, on May 17th. Oh, good. And we have amazing readings. Amazing. So give us some tidbits of who, who's, which okay, celebrities. Actually, you know what? I brought my, um, I brought this because I, there's so many. Oh, good. We premiere with Eva Longoria, Bobby Brown, and Jay Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Right? Amazing. Bobby Brown is one of the most amazing readings I I've saw, ever seen. I've seen a clip online where yeah. it's about Whitney. And, it, and again, you know, Tyler does not know, has no idea who he's walking up to see. And we've created in the production side so much protection to make sure he yeah. doesn't accidentally find yeah. out. Like, a name, you can't find a name on any But does he work. know it's Bobby Brown when no. he sees him? So Well, not always. So he may not recognize no, the person. No, literally the door yeah. knock moment is the first moment. That's so great. And then we always take, we're all always taking bets on us. Like, yeah, is he going to know this person yeah. or not? Did he know Bobby? No. So it was really... No, there's an amazing moment wow. in the reading where he he figures it out. And yeah, I'm not gonna Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, but that's our wait. okay, so that's our first episode. The yeah. second episode, Mel B. Um um third episode, um Marley Matlin, mm. which is an amazing wow. reading. Oh, that's incredible. Marley is just amazing. Yeah, I love her. Um we so did RuPaul, we did Chloe, Chloe and um one of her sisters. I won't say who. Oh, because well, he's read all of them at yeah. this point. But one of them makes a, a cameo in our show. We did the Chrisleys. Um, Ice Teen Cocoa, which is funny. We <laughs> did a reading with Alan Thick in August. Oh my God! Are you? You'll air it. That actually, we went. Well, we went back to to Tanya, his widow. And it asked. was an amazing reading. Yeah. And we went back to Tanya to ask because we would never air it without their permission, without their their blessing. And we gave them. You know, again, the network was so. So they were like, of course. I mean, we were all. On the same page, and Tanya came back. We showed her the reading. She came back, and she said, I really want this to air. Did it have anything premonition-y? Yeah, and so which oh we— Oh, my God. Which, I just got chills. Yeah, and <gasps> so she invited us back, actually, um, to meet with her after he passed away. So we just shot that a couple weeks ago. We were with her a couple weeks ago. And did they communicate? Well, you'll have to have see to it. Watch. But it's a really beautiful— Oh, my God. It's a really beautiful— Tribute to Alan, mm -hmm. to the love between a husband and wife. Aww. They were together 17 years. And it's giving me goosebumps, me actually. Me, too. I'm um, going to my jacket. And she, we, we, we go back. You'll see the reading as the reading happened, but you'll also see her and Tyler watching it together. Wow. And her reaction to it. It's, it's really so, so beautiful. So that's, I think, um, yeah. What night is that? That's like five weeks in. One, okay. two, three. That's no, the sixth. The sixth weekend. So yeah, a really amazing Incredible. season. Um, Lil Kim. Um, oh, we did um, um, Alice and Janney, Jenna Dylan Tatum. So really, really amazing group. Okay. So yeah. Has he read you? He has not because I actually um, really I asked everybody since we are his producers. I don't think it's proper for us to ask him for a reading. I agree. But it's interesting. But he's picked up on things. Yeah, well, In fact, the very was, first time I met him, yeah. he picked up on my late dad. That's incredible. And it blew me away. Well, that's the thing. We did a show for LMN with Medium, and um, she actually had a, did a session with the whole crew before the reading because mm -hmm. it actually helped clear it out. Helped clear it out, right. Uh, competing spirits yep. would come in, and it was actually distracting. Exactly. So and that can happen that was with Tyler. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, that can happen with him definitely. But yeah, the very first time we met him, you know, I, I'd said to our our um, 
our team, you know, look, here's my kind of rules of engagement when we meet with a with a psychic or medium. And this is after many years of right, doing you're, you're it. And many people this. being embarrassed in right. rooms. Of course. I can I can remember each of them. So interesting. Going back to when I was a director level at Buena Vista, I can remember people being embarrassed. I was like, okay. Yeah, you know the we deal. don't ask for a reading in the room. Right. If they offer one, I will speak up and say, are you okay with that? Yeah. To whoever it's being offered yeah. to. Because I, I, if you're not, you're allowed to say, actually, I prefer not. Right. So we actually, we made it through the whole meeting. It was like two hours. I was so proud because like everybody was, nobody asked for one. Nothing yeah. came through. And then we're literally downstairs. You remember our old office room? Yeah. That, that atrium. We were downstairs. We were saying goodbye. And all of a sudden he's like, Stephanie, 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 I need to talk to you. Come here, come here, come here. And I was like, like no. What? He's like, come here, come here, come here. And he takes me back to this little corner. And my dad was coming through. Uh, And I'm telling you, I lost it. My dad came through. He knew. I've got three boys. He knew that one of them was living at home still, was in high school when my dad passed away. And so they were very close because he was the one still at home. Wow. He knew. It blew me away. Wow. So at that point, I was like, okay, Tyler, you're <laughs> the real it. deal. You're the Dang real deal. It. Yeah. yeah, he got but you. He, yeah, he's amazing. What an incredible thing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, part of why, you know, a lot of people can go, oh, mediums. But a real medium with his, that, what a gift. What, what a, a gift. gift. I mean, he gave you and he's yeah. giving all these people to yeah. connect with loved ones. It's incredible. I know. So we're coming toward the end. So I have to ask my stock questions. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I have one more question before okay. I get to the stock. Right. Question. The stock okay. questions are easy. Okay. Um, looking forward, like you got what you know you've been bought or not fully bought, yeah, but sixty five percent bought by yeah. Red Arrow, yeah. and yeah. that's always for a lot of companies sort of the brass ring. What are your person or you and Rasha's goals for the the next ten years? And like, where do you see? Are you going to interested in scripted? Are you getting into digital? Like, sort of where are you expanding? Where are the places you want to go? Um, great question. We're, we are inscripted. We have three projects in development right now. One at USA nice. um, with Legendary as our studio. That happened before the Red Arrow um, acquisition. Um, John Mass is our partner, who's executive producer of Devious Maze. Andrew Lynchewski from Royal Pains. Benjamin Brand is cool. writing. It's an amazing original one-hour drama at USA. We have a one-hour drama in development at Bravo with Whoopi Goldberg and Tom Leonardis. And the writer is Amitabh Clem, another original drama. We have a children's animated series at Amazon Kids. Um, so cool. based on a series of books that Whoopi wrote. Um, our writer's Karen Greenberg, and that's going to, uh, to the to the character uh, illustration stage right now, so we're super excited. So we're in the SPA digital world with that. We just sold our first two digital series to full screen. Fantastic. Digital is very real for us because yes. we launched Overture two years ago on the VR side, and that's the one our son, our oldest yeah. son, um, uh, conceived and incubated within 44 Blue. So I think in terms of the future, Rasha and I look at it as like, it's a really challenging time for all the reasons it's challenging. You know, Jeff yeah. Collins has a piece this morning in C21 about how, how challenging it is. Um, but it's also for us a really exciting time because to us, we look at it as while some networks are going away, you know, Escort went away. We had a project there. We've all, all of our colleagues have had this happen. And the budgets are getting smaller and the orders, you know, all the challenges. On the other hand, what we love are the new ones that are, that are emerging and that there are new platforms to be telling these stories on. And we look at it as we're storytellers. you got to be more nimble with some of yeah. these new new platforms. So, yes, we want to continue to tell stories. We are continuing to work with some amazing partners. We've got two new projects with Mark. We've got you know our, our documentary premiering um, this month that we did with Dwayne Johnson on HBO. Well, what is that? I don't Rock know. Rock in a Hard Place. Oh. Um, feature, you know, feature-length doc um, that premieres March 27th. And what's we're, that about? It is the 
story of an alternative sentencing program for young offenders, Miami-Dade. Dwayne um, visited the program when he was shooting Pain and Gain and said he wanted to meet the people who did lockup, and that's how we met him, because he really wanted to tell this story. Wow. That resulted in the partnership. Um, uh, we um, uh, partnered with DCTV um, out of New York, um, did it for HBO, and it premieres in March. So we basically followed... Um, the program for a year and some of the, the young people who were in it. It's a very, um, it's a tough and challenging program that some young people don't make it through. But the recidivism rate compared to regular offenders, which is in the 70 percentile, the recidivism rate is down in the under 10%. Wow. So if you can make it through this yeah. program, which is why I resonated with Dwayne, because Dwayne looked at it and said, I was that kid or could have been that kid. Wow. So we want to continue in the future doc world. Yeah. Um, we have a couple that are in development right now that we're in negotiations on. We want to continue making, telling great stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just kind of keep growing. And the Red Arrow, our Red Arrow partners are amazing. And they were really giving us the opportunity. You know, I get to play with formats again, which I'm excited about because yeah. I kind of came from that. Right. Um, so that's what we want to do. You're on fire. Well, so we're exciting. trying. It's I'm still excited. pushing boulders uphill. It, it still it is. It always but. is. When we met, what I immediately responded to was your passion and yeah. You know, it's easy to get jaded. It's easy to get tired. And there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of bullshit. You just laid out a bunch of stuff that's going on in the industry. But if you're smart and you know how to be nimble, like you said, and you know how to sort of grab the opportunities, you you don't burn bridges, you build relationships with people, like you mentioned, two new mm-hmm. projects with Mark. You know, it's easy for those relationships to go sour, too. And you're like, what have I done? Or easy to pigeon self pigeonhole yourselves into a specific genre that you can't get out of. And you guys haven't yeah. done that. So you've been smart. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, I'm sure there's been a little luck, but probably mostly hard work and smarts. And a lot of failure along the way, by the way, because failure teaches you. Absolutely. Who doesn't fail? I mean, please. It's crazy. So what would you say of all of now we're to our stock questions? What would you say of everything? And I know this is a hard question and I'm going to say let's stick to professional accomplishment. What would be your proudest professional accomplishment in your whole career? Oh my God, a whole career? <laughs> or in the last year. No. Jeez. Oh, I've been know. around a while. Let's say. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it sounds like Alaska was one of them. You know what? On a very personal level, army. married to the army, I'm very proud that we were able to tell those stories. Yeah. I'm going to get emotional. Um, well, and you worked so hard. I mean, five years. Well, and you know, especially in the entertainment industry, I think we forget. I mean, I grew up in a lot of those red states. Yeah. I don't like calling them that, actually, because right. of that. And I think the military and the sacrifice, that was an important story to tell. I'm going to start to cry. Um, well, it's proud. It's a and proud you know, moment. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm certainly, you know, I'm proud about the association that I had and the, and, and, and the process of being part of being able to launch Millionaire. That still stands out to me as a really wonderful time. I mean, Michael Davies, you know, was really the, 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 the mad, brilliant scientist behind that. But the role that I got to play in that, to see that come to be, it was really my introduction to the format world. But I think really helping to build a company and being able to be there and, um, you know, ride the, the tough times, but be there for the exciting times and be there to help see the vision through and continue to believe in ourselves because there are times when it was very tough yeah to go like you know 2008 financial crisis when this whole our whole business and you go like okay yeah. do I go back and get a job what do right. I do it's Starbucks. like you know we all cut our salaries it's like we yeah. can't let go of it right. we have amazing people so keeping the business together that year well, I'm very and proud also of. keeping the marriage together I mean oh yeah there's I, that I mean how the hell like do you guys have any rules for when you go home or is oh, it just there's no it's like you're just a mesh okay Rasha would say 
yes, please, we need some rules stuff, yeah. you know. Um, I tend, I think <laughs> we have to, like, be able to turn it off when we yeah. get home and be able to just go have fun and not be going like, oh, you know, let's talk about whatever. So when you go out to dinner, yeah. I answer honestly, and you sit down with a glass of wine and you guys are at a nice restaurant, never talk about work. Oh, God, I wish that were true. <laughs> you only talk about it's work. It's so not true, right. and that means we have to work on that. Well, you, you have know, your sons, obviously. We yes. have our boys, yeah. and our boys are incredible, and frankly, our boys, I think, are our biggest inspiration Aww. and our biggest motivation. They really do inspire us every day. They make me, th- me think, they make me think harder, more, you know, they make me think different. They make me, you know, they make me look at things differently. And they no, also gosh. give us a lot. They get, they've given me a lot of confidence to try things because they believe in me and they believe in Rasha. And so they're like, you guys can do that. You go for it. And we're like, yeah, you know, so I think, um, so sweet, you um, know, oh, so I'm teary. Teary. Oh, God. Okay. But yeah, they, um, do you have any regrets? Do I have any regrets? Probably when you are a working mom. You always wish, you know, it's like when you have curly hair, you wish you had straight hair. When you're a working Uh, mom, you're like, God, you know, if I could be like those other moms and, (laughs) you know, be there for pickup at 3 o'clock. 2.40. I never could be there at pickup for 3 o'clock. I actually stayed home for a short amount of time during one little era where I was like, I'm picking my kids up at 3 o'clock. Because, you know, now's the time when they really need someone at home, when they're in that junior high kind of late, you know, elementary school. And literally, I still remember Tommy and Chris looking at me and going, Mom, why are (laughs) you here? Like, can you please go back to work? Like, we love you. But really, do you have to pick us up every day? (laughs) Um, But I don't, look, I don't regret it because... I, you know, look, I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be who we are as a family or as a business. Or I, mean, I don't regret any of the experiences, but there were times when that was really tough. Yeah. And there were times maybe where I'm like, you know, should I have stayed home a little longer? Should I have been at home as a parent longer? Well, that's um, what's so great about being just, your own boss. I mean, I know your kids were yeah. older when you did that. Yeah. But, you know, I think there is a different model now, and we are in a kind of different now with cell phones and everything, is that, you know, you don't have to be chained to an office. And, you know, True. I'm proud of the fact my daughter's almost 10, like... I've hardly ever, unless I'm traveling, I've hardly ever missed a show right. or you know, assembly, you know. Right. Whereas, you know, in the old days, like, you were at an off, or sorry, if you're well, on the network side or, exactly. or a corporate job, and that was something, you can't do that. You're right. And that was something I always had to say whenever I got offered an opportunity to, to, you know, come to Disney or come to wherever, I would have to say, you have to understand, I'm a mother of three kids. I'm going to have to leave sometimes for a conference. I'm going to have to go to a game. We did not miss you. one game. We did not miss awesome. one play. One of us was always there. Love that. All the way through. But there were times when, look, I still regret Tom Likas is the reason I miss my middle son's fourth grade trip to Sacramento. That I, regret, I regret that. I regret that. That's my regret. That's the regret. Ooh, that makes me mad at Tom. So lastly, but not leastly, but leastly, um, do you watch reality shows? Do you have a top? I always say, what are your top three faves? Um, they don't have to be ones you've produced. No. Uh, you know what show I love is Intervention. I think mm. it is so beautifully done and crafted, and we're very lucky to work with Sarah Skavitsky right now, who um, show runs Hollywood Medium, very different kind of show. But I was a judge once for, I think, Real Screen, and I literally watched like four episodes in a row, and I just, it's so beautifully crafted. Um, I love that show. Um I really have a lot of respect for all the Housewives franchises. I think they are so well done. And by the way, I love the Kardashians. Freaking love it. I don't always get to watch it. It's my guilty pleasure on New York to L.A. trips where I'll watch like one <laughs> after another and catch up. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, there Do you is like a, Shark Tank? That's my personal favorite. Shark Tank's really fun. <laughs> it took me a while to appreciate it, but now I like just sort of the popcorn nature of one after the other. Yes. Yeah, okay, I'll tell you what my all-time favorite is. Go. It's not on the air anymore. Ooh. The Pitch. 
That you know what? You're the second person or the third person in the on the podcast. So Aaron said Sedman, I can never pronounce this. You know who he is, right? Mm-hmm. So he when he was at all three, mm-hmm. he that was his proudest accomplishment was not only doing the show but getting it on for a second season yes. against all odds because yes. the ratings weren't yes. good, but it was a, an incredible yes. show. And then someone else named it as one of their favorite I'm shows. I'm telling you, that's the show I wish I'd come Oh, up I with. know who. Michael Abagdagbian. Okay. From Mission Control. Okay. <laughs> I'm so bad with it. It is. Yeah, it's I, a great show. It's a show I wish I'd done. Yeah. That's one that I wish I'd done. Yeah, right place, right time. Yeah, I just love, and I love the execution of it. Beautiful show. And then, I don't know, scripted, you know. I know, there's so much good stuff. We're just, we're just like, we're watching Bloodline again. Yeah. I can't get enough Bloodline. I haven't done this last Stranger season things. yet. But um, Bloodline is so... I, I love, love it. Yeah. I mean, they did co- Damages. Did you ever watch Damages? I didn't watch. I watched a little yeah. bit of it. Same um, creators and Yeah. Writers. So, I mean, there's so much to watch. So I much loved Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Loved I it. haven't seen that one. Loved it. I wrote Karen Mandeback and just said to her how much I loved it, and she wrote me back. <gasps> and I was just like... Because I really point. try to tell... Yeah. Really try to reach out to creators when I can, just to tell them yeah. that their show impacts me or that I like Well, and it. that's the exciting thing about where you are and where you're going is potentially down the line you can actually work with her. That's yeah, not well, like... that's true. You know, God, that would be a dream. Right? That would be a great she dream. She could show run your next... That, that would be amazing. Scripted show. Yeah. Well, this has been so incredible. Thank I you. I could talk to you for 50 oh my, I, hours. I feel the same way. I could talk to you. I could yeah. sit here forever. This is yeah. so much fun. You are very inspiring. I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I love you. what you're doing because it's so interesting to hear everybody's stories and what Thanks. motivates them and what inspires them. Thanks. And I think it's really cool what thank you're doing. You. So I'm congratulations. Hoping. That's really sweet. My goal is for like younger kids, you know, who are interested in getting yeah. into the business to actually learn yeah. something because yeah. I think people who have you know, cut their teeth and had real careers and worked their way up is a really important mm-hmm. lesson for millennials and younger mm-hmm. who are coming up. That's sort of my second, besides just loving the conversations yeah. with people like you, yeah. I'm really hoping that that can appeal to, you yeah. know, the youngsters. Yeah. Well, you know, they're the future and they have amazing brains and amazing connectivity. And, um, you know, I've read uh, somebody uh, something recently about how everybody should have a mentor that's younger. Oh, I love that. And you know what? I read that and I went, my three boys are yeah, that to me. Yeah, completely. Because they'll call me and go, Mom, have you seen this? Mom, yeah. are you? And, and so, I, I, but I, so I do really yeah. value what, the, what millennials bring to the creative process and workplace. So I think what you're doing is really, it's great that that's, that's an audience that you're reaching. Yeah, I hope so. So they can also hear some of the history of how the, we are where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. now, just, can you imagine going from local news to reality? I mean, just there's no journey like that anymore. You know, it's know. just, it's a whole From Philly know. to L.A., who does <laughs> exactly. that, right? Like you, exactly. It's crazy. I know. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 